If you brought your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We are continuing in our series called Good News for the Not So Good. This is the eighth message in this series. We spent three weeks in chapter 3. Just going to spend just today in chapter 4. Moving on to chapter 5, Lord willing, next week. So you kind of have your assignment. Read chapter 5 for next week as we talk about, I think, some relevant topics of sexual immorality and and those that that are immoral and and what to do about that. And so uh, read through uh, this week, chapter 5 as well. Uh, While you're turning there, I do want to give my thumbs up to a movie that I'm asking you to see. If you haven't seen it, go see Sound of Freedom. Please see. How many have seen the movie? Uh, Good, good. And so if you haven't seen Sound of Freedom, please see it. Uh, One of the things that uh, uh, really spoke to me in in praying is, and this comes from actually uh, verse uh, 5 of uh, 1 Corinthians 4, that God will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness. One of the things I said to Jill on the way home is sad that the supply is there because the demand is there. And it's the heart of mankind that needs to change. Yeah. It really does. And uh, meanwhile, uh, we need to uh, do what we can, uh, making sure that the trafficking is halted. The United States being one of the main, main um, what do you call it, um, partakers of. And, and with that, I also made mention to Jill uh, on the way back from that movie you know, anyone, and I'm not trying to condemn anybody or come down and hard on anybody, but if you are hooked on pornography, uh, internet porn, whatever, and uh, kids are involved, you are part of the problem. And you need to repent and call out to God for forgiveness. And uh, I know that I've talked to gentlemen over the years, and I know that internet porn is a big thing, has been for a number of years, not only for men, but for women as well. But for those that are engaged in uh, the viewing, therefore, of, of that kind of thing, are a partaker in the sins of uh, as well. So, moving on. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. The Lord, it is the Lord who judges me. Verse 5, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos, and for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. The problem that Paul's been dealing with in the first few chapters. Verse 7, for who makes you different from anyone else? And, and, do, you have that, that, and do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. 
Already you have become rich, you have become kings, and, and that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. Paul was being uh, somewhat, uh, very much so sarcastic here. All right. For it seems to me that God has put us uh, apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. To this very day hour, we go hungry and thirsty, and we are in rags. We are brutally treated, and we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. I am not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I am sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ. And I love this statement, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. In other words, what I said over here is the same thing I'm saying over here, and, and, and so it's all in agreement. Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip or in love and with a gentle spirit? And there is chapter 4, 1 Corinthians. Now, this morning, we're going to talk about the role of a leader as we continue in our sermon series, Good News for the Not-So-Good, from 1 Corinthians, and we're going to talk about who is really in charge of what happens in your life. Now, you'll recall, if you've been here for any of this series, and the first seven messages, I believe, are online, or on our church website, but for the first three chapters... The Apostle Paul has said over and over again, stop boasting about human leaders, you know. Stop being divisive. Stop arguing with one another about who you're following, whether it be Paul or Apollos or Cephas or whoever. Stop defining yourself by whose fan you are. See, Paul knew that this kind of adulation could, could lead to nowhere good. He understood the conditional fickle nature of typical followers, that's what they do. They say things like, well, you're my hero, you know. We want to hang on your every word. Uh, the only thing we ask in return is that you do all the heavy lifting of discipleship, and, and then we're just going to sit back, we're going to watch in comfort. That's all we ask. And oh yeah, they'll say, we expect you to be perfect in everything you do every time you do it, at all times. Now, when it comes to crowds... There's not much difference be, between being their hero and being their entertainer. 
Now, I'm not a sports fan, as you know, it used to be, but back in 2020, I think it was, when BLM took over a lot of our cities and the uh, various sports teams and entities kind of sided with all that. I said, I'm done. You know, if they're going to take a knee and, and, and whatever, I'm not going there. And so I basically checked out. I did watch the Super Bowl last year for the first time. Uh, and, and not the commercials, which usually I record it, watch the commercials and fast forward the game. But, but I think of, in comparison with what I'm teaching on those that are football fans, and I'm not, if you watch it, go, God bless you if you watch whatever, that's, that's up to you. But uh, the comparison of football fans and really the relationship that, that sport fans have with their team and even certain players on the team. For example, when the team wins... These fans will not only share the glory, but they'll take credit for something they had no part of the outcome for. In other words, we won the game. We won the division. We're going to the Super Bowl. You know, we're, we're in the playoffs, and it's, it's we, 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 and, and we're, and it's like, thank you for, for being part of that. But, but when a quarterback throws an interception or a linebacker misses a tackle, that person is no longer your hero. Now they're an overpaid bum. <laughs> In other words, when the team loses, the attitude goes from we to they. They let us down. They didn't win the game for us, you know, because it's their job to make me feel like a winner. That's the spectator fan kind of mentality. You see, when you and I define our loyalties according to this person or that person or this teacher or that worship leader or this church or that denomination, we can very easily, if we're not careful, slip into what is called an entertainment mindset. In other words, you're the performer, we're the spectators, it's your job to do something brilliant each Sunday, it's our job just to sit and to watch and to listen, and maybe, just maybe, we might take notes, but we're going to grade you on whatever you got for us. Well, this is the attitude that Paul is warning against in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He goes into great detail with sarcasm in verses 8 through 13. He says, you already have, you have all you want. You've become rich. You have begun to reign. In other words, you have become kings. Verse 10, we are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, but we are dishonored. But then he says this in verse 14, I am writing this to you not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. In other words, Paul wanted them to understand that the Christian life is not about aligning yourself with this group or with that group. It is not about participating in certain aspects of what we might call a subculture where you read the same books and listen to the same music and, and, and basically use the same phrases, your Christianese, in conversations. The Christian life is about uniting with the person of Jesus Christ in his death, his burial, his resurrection, and ultimately, Romans 8, 29, being transformed into his likeness. Not as a spectator, you know, sitting in the stands, or in our case, sitting in the pew, but as a soldier engaged in battle. Always remember 
David, David's sin with Bathsheba began, it says, when kings go out to battle, David's staying home and he's gazing where he shouldn't be gazing. You know, he ought to be, he, he should have been engaged in battle, but yet he let his guard down and therefore that led from one thing into another, another sermon, another time. Basically, it comes down to this. We, all of us, need leaders in our lives. And it goes without saying. And because God has designed us not to make this journey alone, but to go on this journey with others and to learn from others and to be helped by others and to help others. But really the questions remain, how will we determine who will be the leaders that we turn to? What will be their role in our everyday lives, and really, what is our responsibility even to those who do lead? Because we never outgrow the need for leadership, at least in some areas of our life. All right? So today, as we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to look at how to relate to leaders in every endeavor of life, be it our church life, be it your home life, your personal growth and development, your spiritual growth, be it parenting or marriage, uh, financial management, we can go on and on and on. But basically, what I'm going to share with you, I think, will apply to every aspect of your life. And so in order to master, if you will, the fine art of being led, here are some tidbits of information, some advice I'm going to share with you from this chapter that I think will help you along. The first thing is this. Number one, designate for yourself leaders who lead by example. Designate for yourself leaders who lead by example. I use the word designate intentionally because it's important to remember that when it comes to being led by others, it's all your choice. It's all your choice. In other words, you decide what, what kind of leader you're, you're, you're going to follow. You determine the criteria. And this is necessary, honestly, because when all is said and done, you are the one that's going to have to live with the outcome that you have selected, that you have designated, even those that you follow. Now, from time to time, you will encounter people, and I've had that in my own life, even in ministry here, but people who will try to, what I call, appoint themselves as your advisor. Those that would be considered the keeper of your calendar, maybe, your boss, or even your dictator years ago. This is over 20 years ago, and I don't remember their names, but they kind of sat where Stan and Florina are at. A couple came in, a mom and a son, and, and uh, this was like 2001, 2002, and she told me after church, man, you need to get my son up there in the worship team. He's a great worship leader, and he'll take this church places and worship this and that, everything else, and they were here for one Sunday. And it's kind of hard to put that person into a place of, of leadership or whatever if, if you're not going to be faithful, you know, and showing up in that. But uh, I've another gentleman, um, if, you, if you do things my way, we can do this and we can, it's like, okay, I've, I've had most of that up to here. But basically, when it comes down to this, um, people will, will test you, all right? They will try you. Uh, you'll have to learn at times to stand your ground, uh, because when it comes down to it, a leader is not someone who controls you. A leader is someone who guides you. 
Leaders don't tell you what to do so much as they, they show you what to do. All right? This is why Paul, in his writing to the church in Corinth, said in chapter 4, verse 16, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. In other words, follow my example. At one time or another, we've all had do as I say, not as I do leaders in our lives. And truth be told, they're pretty ineffective. Early on in ministry, I learned a lot by watching pastors, and really I learned how not to do things. Okay? All right? And I know there's lots of different right ways of doing things. I've covered that before. But, but Paul's approach was pretty much the opposite. Paul was not a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do leader. Paul was a follow-my-example-as-I-follow-Christ kind of leader. In Philippians 4.9, he wrote, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. In other words, Paul's saying, follow my example. Imitate me. Of course, many believers knew Paul. Uh, they, had the, they had the advantage back in the day of knowing him personally, uh, so they could follow, they could watch his life, they could follow his example, because honestly they had seen firsthand how Paul lived his life. Now, that's one of the reasons I believe that we are, you and I are to know those who labor among us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. And we beseech you, brethren, he says, to know them which labor among you. To know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now today, we don't have the Apostle Paul personally to follow. Uh, but we do have others in our lives whose example that we can imitate at least in certain areas. Of course, and let me just say it this way, you will never find on planet Earth, you will never find a perfect leader. We are all human, God help us, you know. Uh, but but we're, we're, we're growing, we're maturing, or whatever. But, but when, honestly, when you know someone whose life seems to be working well in a particular area, learn what you can from them in that area of your life. In other words, do what they do uh, so you can also get that same kind of result. We also have people in our lives whose example we know not to follow, at least in certain areas. I recently read in preparation for this message of a pastor who said, not long ago a friend said to me, I love my dad, I love my father, I am grateful for all he has done, but I cannot follow his example as a husband. He was not attentive to my mother's needs or her feelings. You see, this young man the pastor wrote had come to the realization that he could love his father, even respect his father in many areas, but when it came to learning how to be a good husband, he knew that he needed to look elsewhere for, for a better example to follow. And that's okay. That's okay. It's also important to understand that looking to our leaders as examples to follow means that we're no longer spectators merely watching them. We're on the field of battle with them. Big difference. You see, when, when it becomes your aim 
to imitate a leader, you're going to find out just how hard it is to do what they do. For a spectator, everything looks easy. Hitting a baseball, throwing a pass, teaching a class, writing a book, or making a movie, it all looks simple until you try it. Then you discover, yeah, this is a little harder than I thought, you know. That's why Paul says in effect, follow my example. And Paul's saying, and I'm paraphrasing, but Paul's saying, I'm not just going to tell you how to do it. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you how to do it. Now, to master the art of being led, you have to designate the right kind of leader, the kind of leader who's willing to lead by example. I've said at our missions a banquet, our missions convention this past March, I will never ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. I will never ask you to tithe if I'm not tithing. I'll never ask you to make a faith promise to support missions and missionaries if I'm not willing to do that myself. Why? Because we lead by example. We lead by example. And, uh, and I know that uh, this can be difficult for people, but honestly, church, our life needs to preach louder than our lips. Our life needs to preach louder than our lips. Lead by example. Second step. Number two, develop for yourself a system of accountability. Let me just say it this way. Every one of us, every one of us needs to be accountable to someone. It's one of the essential, what I call, checks and balances to keep us focused, to keep our priorities straight, to keep us on what we call the straight and narrow path. See, Paul understood that the the letter he was sending to the church at Corinth wasn't by itself enough. They needed more. They needed the human connection to help them be accountable. And so Paul says in verse 17, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, the son, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. And then Paul says this, He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which, here it is, my way of life which agrees with what I teach everywhere and in every church. And so Timothy's role during his visit would be to provide both leadership and then some accountability. There were many areas really where the Corinthian believers needed to improve. Well, Timothy could help them as he guided them, as he taught them, as he was there for them. He could also help them to evaluate and to measure their progress, if you will. In other words, you, you just simply choose someone whose example is worth following and you choose who you're going to be accountable to. Now, occasionally, someone may try to bulldoze their way into your life and assume responsibility for evaluating your progress, as in, I'm making it my job to tell you how you're doing. Be careful, all right? That kind of arrangement rarely works for one simple reason. Most often, and this is my observation, most often these individuals who want to hold others accountable aren't themselves accountable to anyone else. In other words, they're just, they're, they're just living their lives like, like they're in charge of the rest of the world and nothing has to you know, uh, be, be, uh, be in their lives. And so I'm simply saying make sure that those that you're accountable to are themselves accountable 
to somebody else. As I said, everyone needs to be accountable to someone. Actually, accountability works often, works best when it's, when, when it's reciprocal. Uh, we're accountable to one another. For example, during the COVID time uh, in 2020, starting in March, and then throughout that year, uh, I called a friend, or he called me at least once a week. He's a Bible college friend. He's from Montana. He's a rancher friend. And we, we still call each other, not as often as that time, but it was at least once a week and bouncing things off and praying for each other and, and kind of having our backs, whatever, checking up on each other. How you doing? You know, what you up to? And that kind of thing. And it was good for both of us. Even during that time when I was on Facebook, I remember being part of the Arizona Ministry Network's Minister's Facebook page as well, again, and, and just back and forth with pastors and what was going on in their churches and whatever. Uh, this is, I'll just say it this way, and I know that some of you won't like this, but that's okay. I, I'm, I'm not one to, to hold back. I'm always leery of non-denominational churches. I like accountability. I like a covering. I like someone that I'm accountable to that's going to say, Brian, how you doing? You know what I'm saying? Uh, and that's why I like the Assemblies of God. I mean, I need a covering. You need a covering. All God's kids need a covering. It's about keeping our eyes on the prize and pressing ever forward. It's about keeping first things first. And I know that there are churches that are doing well without that. I don't I don't get it all, but I'm just saying I like covering. I like, I like the fact that I have a pastor over myself, all right? Uh, and, uh, and Pastor Steve Harris, it was mentioned at District uh, Council. It's no longer called that. I'm old school. Uh, but it was at the Ministry Network Conference, is the correct title, who announced this past year, this past April, that this will be his last year of serving as our superintendent for the Arizona Ministry Network. He's been at it 20-some years, and, and we will miss him. But uh, I just like accountability. And when you're accountable, honestly, it's going to help you stay faithful to your commitments. It's going to help you stay in the right track, uh, the straight and narrow. It's going to help you develop consistency. It even will help you deal with temptation. And at times, if you fall, they're going to be there to help you and pick you up. Um, I, have, I have cried with, prayed with leaders, district leaders, and I like that, okay? Timothy was coming to Corinth not as an apostle, not as the final voice of authority in every aspect of their lives. He was simply coming as one of them. As a leader, he himself was accountable to Paul, and he was there to help them grow in their walk with Christ. And so if you want to develop the, the art of being led, develop for yourself, however it looks for you, some kind of system of being accountable to others. All right? Uh, I, I, one of the questions I'm asked when I'm teaching membership class, and then put that in the calendar again, is, is uh, a question that often comes up, and I put it in my notes to ask it. I said, basically people will say, well, if I come and be, be a member of Baseline Christian Fellowship, Will I, will I be subject to your authority? Uh, yes, you know, but I'm asked that. Uh, but I've also been told from people here, uh, usually don't stay very long, but uh, uh, I've been told, well, I'm under God's authority, I'm not under man's authority. Well, if you're under God's authority, and you'll be under God's delegated authority, 
And, and again, as a leader, I don't lord it over people. You know, the way you live your life, I'm going to say this is the word, this is God's word, you know, walk ye in it kind of thing. But uh, I'm not knocking doors saying, hey, I noticed this about you. I noticed that about your, your bumper sticker is not right. And I don't, I don't go, I don't, I don't live your life for you. All right, I'll guide you. I'll do what I can with that. And hopefully I can lead in that. But uh, uh, leaders don't lord leadership over people. They guide people. They want to help people. All right. Uh, so second step, accountability. Third step, expect to see God's power at work in your life. Now, this is a case where we don't demand results from others, but we do demand them for ourselves. In other words, we're not sitting in the stands as spectators saying, I want to watch you win this game. We're not sitting in the pew saying, Pastor Brian, entertain me, tickle my ears. Instead, we are all engaged in battle on the battlefield and we're evaluating our performance and we're holding ourselves higher to a higher standard. In other words, you all know this, I know this, but we live in a finger-pointing culture today where a great percentage of social media posts can be summed up as, let me tell you what is wrong with this person or that person or this group or that, per- or that group or this country song or that country song. I mean, we're all trying to evaluate, you know, whatever. And, and, I, and honestly, I see this every day. And the implication is, notice how much better I am than what you are. Man, I hate that. That arrogance, that pride. See, we are a culture eager to share our opinions online. Whether or not our opinions should be shared online. Long ago, I learned that opinions are like noses. Everybody has one, and you pick your own. Right? Hopefully, your neighbor's not picking yours, all right? But, but also, every opinion you have, you believe is right. Otherwise, you wouldn't have that opinion. See, we have yet to learn that having an opinion is not the same as being informed. And being informed is not the same as being involved. In other words, it's not merely enough to say what's on your mind. God expects us to follow through on what we say. Notice what Paul said, verse 20. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Now, what kind of power? Look at verses 11 through 13. Paul says, to this very hour... We go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. See, that's the kind of power Paul is talking about and writing about. The power to bless those who curse you. Get that? The power to withstand persecution. The power to keep pressing on when the whole world seems to be against you. Church, I got news for you. The world will hate you because it hated Jesus. 
Stop trying to fit in to this world because we don't belong here. We're just passing through. It's true. And I would dare say that as the Lord delays his return, his soon return, things will not get better. See, there's no amount of talk that can measure up to what Paul's writing about here. You know, to bless those who curse you. I'm not there yet. That's hard. To pray for your enemies. To love your enemies. To love those that have a different political persuasion. To love those who don't like a certain country song. You know what I'm saying, though? It's difficult. But the power to, to, as the old song says, to walk this world in white. You know, send the fire, that, that, that line. In that uh, William, give me, William Booth song. Thank you, Pastor Jim. William Barclay wrote this. Jesus never said, by their words you shall know them. He said, by their fruits you shall know them. The world is full of talk about Christianity, but one deed is worth a thousand words. One deed is worth a thousand words. I read another powerful quote this past week, actually last week on vacation. It's from Laron Ravenhill. And he said this, Everyone wants to be clothed with power, but no one wants to be stripped of self. Let me say it again. I'm using it for my Alaska sermon next month. Everyone wants to be clothed with power, but no one wants to be stripped of self. You see, the Christian life is a denial of self. Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And this is, you all know this. I know this, you know this. But man, we say, God, I want your power. I want, I want to experience, as Paul cried out, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. But I also want to know him in sharing in the sufferings. See, we, we want the power part, but we, we want to be in control. We don't want to be stripped of self. May God strip us of who we are. May he transform us to be like his son, Jesus Christ. See, as we submit to the leadership of others, and as we make ourselves accountable, really, to others, we ask ourselves this question. Is my Christian life a demonstration of God's power? Is my Christian life a demonstration of God's power? Am I seeing results of my efforts, or do I need to back up and try again? What is God doing in your life? What's God doing in your heart? See, if you want to master the fine art of being led, demand results in the process and simply expect to see God's power at work in your life. As I mentioned two weeks ago, Paul closed chapter 3 by saying, all things belong to you, all are yours. In other words, everything that exists, exists to serve you in the direction of God's holy calling on your life whether it's Apollos, whether it's the Apostle Peter, 
or even Paul himself. In other words, Paul's saying, we all belong to you, and he's saying, we're here to serve you. In verse 4, then he picks up with that in, in chapter 4, verse 1. This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants, as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. In other words, Paul's saying, our job is to help you grow in your Christian walk. That, my friends, is the leader's role. It's not that you're here to serve the leader. Leaders are here to serve you. I also mentioned two weeks ago that the higher up you go, the lower down you go. Because Jesus is into towels, not titles. Let me wash your feet. Remember, years ago, and I'm going to date myself, and I'll date some of you too. Let's go back to the 1970s. What did we call politicians? Be nice. We called them what? Public servants. I'm afraid we can't call most politicians today public servants. Because most, many I should say, be careful my words, many have become multi-millionaires because they've served themselves and are no longer serving the public. True? True. And, and the term, the public servant term, I don't feel can be really used anymore because of the misuse. By the way, did you know, this is from my David Barton studying on American history, did you know that the Supreme Court justices were never meant to serve a lifetime term or a lifelong term it was a term to serve and get off same with every congressman you were to go leave your job leave your family for whatever period of time and then you serve and you get out of there you don't make it a career that's where america has gone wrong in our leadership and so anyway i i, I digress all right leaders serve that's what they do it's why we're here they're, they're, they're basically there to help you grow and to become more like Christ. My definition of, spirit, of a spiritual leader is very simple. A spiritual leader is spiritual, and a spiritual leader leads. They're spiritual, they're pursuing God, but they also lead. They lead by example. As Paul said, imitate me, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. They, they lead us in the direction of hopefully measurable results. That's what we do. But all that being said, the rest is up to you. The rest is up to you. I can't live your life for you. You have to live that according to God's word. So it's not for us to sit in the stands and demand the leader jump through all the right hoops. It's for us to get on the field of battle and engage ourselves in action. Because if we have mastered the art of being led, our leaders will guide us one by one, and they will lead us on the path to victory. Years ago, and I close with this final quote, years ago when I was at the Pensacola Revival in Pensacola, Florida, the Brownsville Revival, I remember hearing evangelist Steve Hill, who's with Jesus now, 
but I remember him preaching a message called White Cane Religion. White Cane Religion. You can look it up on YouTube. You can watch it on YouTube. I would encourage you to do so. But he's preaching this, and he starts out by saying this, and I close with this quote. Everybody is following somebody. Does the somebody you're following know where they're going? Let me say it again. Everybody is following somebody. Does the somebody you're following know where they're going? With all my heart, I'm doing my best to get to heaven. All right? My goal, though, is not heaven. My goal is to be transformed into his likeness. I have found over the years that God is much more concerned about my character than he is the assignment that he's given me. Amen? What does that mean? God's still working in our lives. Amen? And so, once again, everybody, even everybody this morning, every one of you is following somebody. Does the somebody you're following know where they're going? Let's stand to our feet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us through your word. And God, may every one of us today say with the Apostle Paul, because we all have some kind of leadership role somewhere, be it our family at work, our neighborhood, somewhere. And God, I pray that we would be able to say, as Paul said, imitate me, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Help us, God, not to be that individual that says, uh, do as I say, but don't do as I do. God, help us. God, to be transparent before others. God, to be accountable to one another, to hold each other accountable as well, but also, God, to, to follow those who know where they're going. And may the end result be glory. In the meantime, God, we pray for life transformation. Change my heart. God, change my life. Transform me to be more like Jesus. As we pray often, and as I pray often, Lord, may Jesus increase and may Brian decrease. Lord, help me. Help each one of us. For those who have come this morning that do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if your heart's not right with God, I want to give you opportunity right now in closing to make sure that if you were to die today and stand before God and God was to ask you, why should I allow you into my heaven? that you could tell them, I've repented of my sin. I've gotten my life right with you. I've forsaken myself. I've embraced the cross. If that describes where you're at this morning spiritually, and if there's sin in your life and you repent of that, then they say, Pastor Brian, today I need to get right with God. I'm holding steady for a moment, saying today I need to repent of my sin. I'm, not here, to, I'm, just, I'm here to help you. I'm a helper of your faith today. And if that describes where you're at, I want to pray for you, pray with you. Just holding steady for a minute. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Anybody else? God's speaking to your heart.
put your hand up, put it back down, say, Pastor, this is where I'm at today. Father, for the hand that went up, others maybe that wanted to go up, I just pray for them right now, God, that you would encourage, you would strengthen that heart. God, that you would transform that life. Thank you for being an ever-present God to help us where we're at, to help us when we have needs as well. And God, I, I pray that we would realize that our greatest need is truly salvation, a changed life, a changed heart, a transformed life. Lord, continue to speak through us through your word. We ask in your name, amen and amen. God bless you all. Thanks for being here. Reminder, 6 p.m. tonight is our monthly prayer meeting. Love to have you join us. Uh, and then secondly, if, you, if you've come today and you would like prayer, I'll be available to pray for you, pray with you. If you raise your hand, I want to pray for you as well. God bless you all. Have a great day and a week in the Lord. Don't forget this Saturday, Ladies to Ladies, 10 a.m. If you haven't signed up yet, please do so at the Information Center. God bless you. Have a great day and a great week in the Lord. Amen.